Amen. So I was, um, I don't know why, you know, random thoughts come to mind. And um, earlier this week, I was thinking about the evening that really did change my life. Um, where are we? Something like, something over 60 years ago. And that was the evening my friend took me to a youth group at his church. And what I was thinking about was, was how going to his church that night was something I was really nervous about. I was 11 years old. I didn't know anybody there, and I only just made the cutoff of being old enough to sneak in the door. So I figure everybody there is going to be older than I am. I didn't know anyone who was there, and I didn't really know where I was going. It was a church building I'd never paid much attention to, though it was only about a 10-minute walk from my home. It was a strange building. It was on two levels, but the, the, the entrance everybody seemed to use was on the lower level, and to get to that, you walked up a dark alleyway, and you walked up this cobblestone alleyway, the kind of thing you'd be looking for Jack the Ripper hiding in the shadows. And I'm here, a kid with my friend, and we're like coming off the main road and walking up this dark alley. And then we passed these huge bins that were full of chicken feet. Yeah, chicken feet. Yeah, there was a poultry business apparently right there. It was all closed up. But the bins of the guts and the feet and everything were out there at night and stinking. So we walk up a dark cobblestone alley where a murderer might be hanging out, pass all the, pig, all, all the chicken guts, and, and eventually we go into this door, and I'm wondering what awaits me within the door. And it was probably the first few minutes there that impacted my life. I remember going into the door, and then I remember a guy came up to me. He was introduced as Mr. Cunningham, because we were very polite in the UK. So I met Mr. Cunningham. He must have been no more than 30 years old, but I thought he was old when I was 11. And Mr. Cunningham welcomed me, asked me my name, asked me where I lived, asked me how I knew my friend David who had brought me. He asked me what kind of things I liked doing, what school did I go to, what was this, what was that. And within the first two minutes, I was won over. You know why? Because I thought this guy seems to care about me. I wasn't just some strange kid who walked in the door and nobody took on. But he seemed to really care about me. And it's an old saying, but a true one, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this Sunday morning, I want to spend a few minutes unwrapping this whole theme where we're talking about like Jesus, about caring like Jesus. The main verse we've been using as we've started this series earlier this month is Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, it says, it, it says, God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. God knew in advance who would 
come to believe in him, and his plan for them was this. He chose them to become like his son. And every one of us who is a follower of Christ, God's plan for us is we become like Jesus. And the truth is, in our heart of hearts, everyone who's a Christ follower has that desire to become like Jesus. And we've been identifying some things about Jesus over the last few weeks. We started with what sounded like a tongue-in-cheek kind of a title, which was party like Jesus. Then we talked about focus like Jesus, who loved to do the will of the Father. And then last week we looked at pray like Jesus. And this Sunday morning, I want to take a look at a couple of examples from the life of Christ that encourage us to care like Jesus. You see, Jesus was interested in those around him. There's a story in the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel where Jesus was asked to go to a man's house because his daughter was very sick indeed. And as Jesus made his way towards his house, there, was a, there were huge crowds around him and following as there always were. And there was a woman in that crowd who had been battling medical issues for years. And she had the feeling if she could get near to Jesus, in fact, her conviction was if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' robe, if she could just touch the most extreme part of his robe, just the tiniest part of his robe, that she would be okay. And she kind of tried to force her way through the crowd, and she did that, and she managed to reach out and just touch the bottom part of Jesus' robe. And as she did it, the Bible tells us she knew that she was healed. And, and here's Jesus' response in Mark chapter 5 and verse 30. It says this, At that moment, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? So whenever she touched him and she was healed, the Bible says that Jesus felt energy discharging from him. I just want to take a second here and pause and say this. Caring for other people is going to take something out of you. That's the only way in which you can do it. There's always a price to be paid for caring because it's giving ourselves for others. And of course, Jesus provided us eventually with the ultimate example of that in that he cared so much for us that he gave his life for us. Jesus knew that energy had gone from him, but I want you, to, I want you just to, to notice what, what happened just after that. You know, Jesus, see, Jesus asked the question, who touched me? The woman eventually nervously came forward. Verse 34, Jesus said to her, daughter, you took a risk of faith, and now you are healed and whole. Live well. Live blessed. Be healed of your plague. And the thing that strikes me in this whole interaction of Jesus with this woman is this. Jesus was actually interested in who it was 
that had received the help from him that day. It wasn't just a case of he felt energy had gone from him and he kept on towards this man's house. But Jesus wanted to know, who is it? Who was it? Who was involved? Because people matter to Jesus. His ministry was personal. And for followers of Jesus, our concern for others needs to be a real thing, a personal thing. We need to stay connected with people. Here's, here's, here's a proven fact, that the longer people live, the smaller their circle of friends becomes. You know why that is? It's not because they all die. The reason is, as you go through the journey of life, you get hurt by this one. You get left by this one. You find this person lets you down. And then as people go through life, they, they, they don't trust people as much as they used to trust people. They don't let people close to them like they did before. And so their circle of friends becomes smaller and smaller and smaller because they don't want anybody near them to hurt them. They don't trust that many people anymore. And that's how it becomes. I want to tell you this, though. You can't be impactful in this world for Jesus if you live in a small cocoon isolated from the rest of the world. Jesus was interested in the people around him. Keep interested in those around you. Continue to interact with those around you. Care like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said this about the, the Father in, in Matthew 10 and verse 29. He said, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. That sounds extreme, doesn't it? Not a single one of the tiniest of birds that there must be millions and millions of in this world, not a single one of those dies, but the father knows it. It's like, yeah, right, can God know that? Yeah, God can know that. He knows the slightest detail. And he's aware of it. And if we are the children of God, we need to be like our Father and be interested in those around him. Jesus cared. He wanted to know who was that? Who was that who touched me? What's her story? Let's stay interested in people. Let's stay interested in their stories. So Jesus was interested in those around him. Then let me make this suggestion to you that Jesus cared about the needs of others. He cared about the needs of others. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people are familiar with the, the account of how Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and, 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 and that was a, a remarkable miracle. But there was another very similar incident that is recorded in, in the Gospel of Matthew where people had been, a great crowd of people, about 4,000 had been with Jesus for a long time. They brought folks from all over so that Jesus could pray for them, so that Jesus could heal them, and, and he spent days in this place teaching, healing, helping, 
these thousands of people. And then, here's what it says in Matthew 15 and verse 32. Matthew 15 and verse 32. But Jesus wasn't finished with them. They were getting ready to pack up. It's like, okay, folks, it's over here. But Jesus wasn't finished with them. He called his disciples and said, I hurt for these people. For three days now they've been with me, and now they have nothing to eat. I can't send them away without a meal. They'll probably collapse on the road. Jesus said to his disciples, I hurt for these people. Three days, three days of teaching, three days of healing people, three days of miracles. I've, <clears throat> a few years ago when we were, uh, we were doing two Sunday morning services and, and uh, we'd do our Sunday morning services and we'd go get something to eat for lunch and then Sunday afternoon I would get changed and I'd go for a walk. And uh, it wasn't really for the physical benefit of the exercise, it was just for the mental benefit of being out there by myself and uh, just uh, unwinding. And I would walk 11 miles uh, on a Sunday afternoon, five and a half miles to buy an overpriced cup of Starbucks coffee, and then five and a half miles back home thinking what a waste of money that was. But, but that was my Sunday afternoon routine. I mean, I'm, you know, sadly at the moment, my Sunday routine is we do one service, I go eat lunch, and then I go and take a nap. Takes quite a lot out of you, actually, even just standing here and talking. But Jesus had been at it for three days. And after three days, it wasn't a case of he wanted to cut away from the crowd. After three days, he said, we've got to take care of the crowd. I heard for these people. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our own challenges, which are very real, and with our own needs, that we can't see what's happening to those that are around us. And sometimes the therapy that we need is to look beyond ourselves and be a blessing to other people. Care, care. One of the things I had to learn a long time ago is this. I can't meet everyone's need and I can't fix everybody, but at least I can show some concern and compassion and care for people. We can't fix everybody. We can do what we can do. But the main thing is that we care. There's an awful temptation at kind of looking down at people that seem to be in need or despising. And, and you know, you've got to be smart. There are a lot of scammers around. I, but I, I like what it says in Romans 12, 16. It says this, get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Everybody counts. Everybody matters. Everybody has a story. 
Let's care about people. I've said this multiple times, and I'll say it again now this Sunday morning. I have never met a single person who is not valued by God, special to God, and who does not have a purpose for God in this life and a place in the life to come. Never, never. Every single living person, their life was given by God, and God has a purpose for that life. Jesus always left people strengthened for the next step of their lives. So these people who've been with him for three days, and Jesus himself must have been exhausted and drained, and the people would have been tired and would have been hungry, but Jesus made sure that they were in a better way as they faced the next step in life's journey. And for you and I, the Bible encourages us and reminds us, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God forgave you, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate <clears throat> to one another. Care like Jesus. He was interested in those around him. He cared about their needs. And then the next thing I want to say about caring like Jesus is the Bible shows us that Jesus valued his family. He valued his family. One of the most uh, incredible things when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus is that his mother was standing right in front of him, watching what was happening to her son. And that despite his own pain and incredible suffering, Jesus was concerned about her well-being. In John 19, in verse 25, it says this, Jesus' mother his aunt, Mary the mother of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple that he loved standing near her. That was John. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. Jesus wanted to make sure that Mary was going to be all right. Now, he had brothers and sisters. The Gospels make that clear to us. So Joseph and Mary kind of had their own kids who would have been kind of stepchildren, uh, brothers and sisters, I guess, to Jesus. But, but Jesus knew that Jesus had this special relationship with John. John was somebody who was 100% committed to and a follower of Jesus. And Jesus, in those moments when he was in excruciating pain, saw the pain of his mother and said, look, look, John's going to take care of you. And he said to John, look after her. Jesus cared about his father, his, his family. Now, 
I, I must admit, when I, when, I was, um, when I was a teenager, you know, that, that first night I went to the youth group, it's quite interesting because the guy, John Cunningham, who welcomed me, he actually ran a, uh, a business which was a Christian hotel down in one of the resort towns near to where we lived. And it was quite interesting, really, the way things worked out, that it must have been just four or five months later that we had a youth retreat in his hotel, and it was actually in that place that I committed my life to Jesus. And when I committed my life to Jesus, I was totally gung-ho. That was like, this is it. I'm, I am absolutely all in for this. So following Christ became everything and, and the whole focus of my life. And uh, I was totally committed to our church, to everything that was going on. And we did church old style back then where we had a hundred functions going on every week. And I was there. Whatever was going on, I was there. Most nights of the week, I was out at something in church. Weekends, I was doing stuff with church all of the time. And I remember the only complaint my mother ever had was if I was kind of running out to church when she wanted me to do something. And I can remember her saying on a multitude of occasions, charity begins at home, you know. And under my breath, I'd say, yeah, that's not what the Bible says. But actually, I found out years later that it does say something very similar to that. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3 says this. Paul's talking to Timothy, a young pastor. He says, take care of widows who are destitute. If a widow has family members to take care of her, let them learn that religion begins at their own doorstep. Uh-oh, perhaps the mother was right. Religion begins at their own doorstep, and they should pay back with gratitude some of what they have received. This pleases God immensely. In New Testament times, if a woman's husband passed, then she was left destitute. He would have been the, the breadwinner. He would have, his would have been the only source of income. And, and there was nothing much that she would have. It's not as if there was any kind of state pension or life insurance or anything like that. So if your husband died, you were totally reliant, dependent upon the rest of the family to take care of you. And Paul's saying to Timothy here, so you know what? If somebody's got family, the family should take care of them. But if somebody hasn't got family, then here's what needs to happen is that the church needs to take care of them. You need to be aware of the needs of these people. Jesus cared about his immediate family. He wanted Mary to be taken care of. And there's a couple of things in, in these verses in 1 Timothy that are relevant to you and I today. One of them is this, you know, it's a biblical principle that we need to do everything we can to take care of our own families. And the next is the church needs to have its eyes open and its heart open for people who don't have families to take care of them. I am, uh, I've been really uh, encouraged and happy this last number of weeks to know that uh, 
part of the extension of our outreach with Grace Care to those in need is, is quite a local one. Um, not far at all from where I am right now, there is a, a development uh, where there is assisted uh, housing for low-income housing for senior citizens. And having made a connection in that development, what is happening nowadays on a Saturday afternoon is that while our outreach team to those that are in need uh, goes out with the mobile soup kitchen, there's a, there, there, there are a whole lot of meals that go in a different direction to where these seniors are. Many of them widows, ladies that are single, that are living alone, and they're struggling to make ends meet. And, and every, every week they get the choice now. Um, you know, they, they, they are given an option of what they, what they want. They're given the choice of four meals because we're part of a New York State program now where restaurants make us and prepare us. Not give us their leftovers, make, prepare, package meals, and they deliver them to us on Saturdays to go out on Saturday afternoons, and they tell us what four choices there will be, and these seniors are given the choices ahead of time, what would you like, and they're given two dinners, which are substantial dinners, and actually last many of them for four days in total. And I love that we can do that. I hate to see old people that are really just struggling and feeling as if they're alone and wonder if they'll make it. And quite honestly, I think one of the highlights of this program is that actually we have a, a, one, one of the guys who's part of our church who is a former Mr. America that actually he delivers these dinners to these old ladies. How about that? How about that? I not only get these fantastic dinners, but, but, but this muscle, muscular guy comes, and this good-looking guy comes, and he delivers it. I mean, that's a good Saturday afternoon. And I know Billy spends time with each of them and hangs out with them a little, caring for them. It's not just food delivery. It's more than that. We need to care for our families. And as we have opportunity, we care for those who have no families. Family is such an important and precious part of life. I like what Barbara Bush said about family. She said this, when all the dust is settled and all the crowds are gone, the things that matter are faith, family, and friends. And that's true. That's true. When everything else has disappeared, family is what really matters. Now, I know that families are complicated. I know that family life can be very interesting. And I don't know where fam you are with family or how your family is. But I am going to say this today. Where necessary, mend fences if you can. Maintain the family unit as best you can. And above all, make a point of protecting the most vulnerable. Care like Jesus. He was interested in who was around him. He cared about their needs.
He valued family. And then here's the last thing I want to say. Jesus caring is seen in that Jesus wanted people to go to heaven. That's what he cared about more than anything else. Going back to the scene of the crucifixion of Christ, Luke records that uh, either side of Jesus that there was a thief who was crucified, and one of them was cursing Jesus out, and the other one turned to Jesus. And, and here's what he said, Luke 23 and verse 42. It says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. As Jesus was dying himself, he was still concerned about the eternal salvation of those either side of him. These two men were going to go into eternity at any point. One didn't want anything of what Jesus was saying. The other recognized that he was the Christ, but had he left it too late. So he throws out this last desperate request to Jesus. You know, would you remember me when you come to your kingdom? And Jesus said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. I just want to remind you, by the way, that God didn't make it complicated for people to get to heaven, and we shouldn't either. This man had lived a godless life, breaking the law, was punished severely for what he had done. All he said was, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He recognized Jesus as the King, the Christ, and said, would you remember me? And that was enough. That was enough. Jesus wanted people to go to heaven. I just want to say this today. My primary purpose here is not to get as many people as possible to commit to coming to church regularly. I want to do that, but that's not my primary purpose. My primary purpose is not to help people to get to a place where they can enjoy their best life now, though I believe that is found in Jesus, and I want that to happen for people. My primary goal is to help people of all ages receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. We need to be people who are passionate about that because Jesus was passionate about that. At the, at the height of his pain, at his darkest hour, he wanted one more person to receive eternal life and to join him in heaven. I'm not interested in persuading you to believe everything the same way as I believe it. Hey, we're on a journey and none of us has got it all totally right yet. There is a far bigger picture here. And that is this, heaven is for real, I said that last week, heaven is for real, but hell is for real too. God isn't vindictive, He's just fair, He's just, He's laid it out. The second epistle of Peter reminds us that God isn't willing for anybody to perish, that's not what He wants. That's why He made the path of salvation easy for us, 
though difficult for Jesus. And that's why from that evening that turned my life around, although I didn't know what was going to happen at the time, which led to me becoming a believer in Christ, which led to God calling me into ministry, which has led to a lifetime in ministry. But more than that, the one thing I've wanted to do all my life in ministry is to lead people to Jesus. It's not just for the here and now. I'm not recruiting for a church. It's for the hereafter. That's what really counts. That's why I'm here this morning. And, you know, I'm not trying to be a hero by, you know, coming in here the day after a snowstorm and making sure there's some live preaching that's going on for the sake of everybody who's watching. But I do want to tell you this. If it's possible for me to preach, I'm going to preach. And I'm going to keep on preaching. Yeah, we could have thrown up a video of an old service in its entirety, but the reality is this. There may be one person who watches the recording of today's service who has not yet received Christ as their Savior. But today, God has been speaking to their hearts, maybe through the words of the songs that the band sang, maybe through some scripture that I've quoted or something else that I've said. And if there is the possibility, if there is the remotest likelihood that one single person this Sunday morning will find Christ as their Savior, I'll preach as long as God gives me the breath and the strength and the ability to be able to do it. That's why we're here this morning. That's really the passion, and that's the vision for us as a church that we share together. I care about people that are lost, and Jesus did too. And I want them to know Jesus. And if you don't know Christ yet, I want you to know Jesus. Before the great plague hit in 2020, um, for years, I've, I've done quite a bit of traveling in ministry too. And I've been privileged to visit a lot of places, a lot of different countries. I've been privileged to talk to a lot of pastors and a lot of church leaders, and I love doing that. It isn't that I love the traveling itself much nowadays. It was an adventure 30 or 40 years ago. It's not that much an adventure nowadays. The traveling's a pain. But I tell you what's an adventure. An adventure is meeting groups of pastors and church leaders wherever that may be and reminding them, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's stay focused on reaching the lost. Let's remember that our chief goal is not to just build a church for the sake of building church. Our main goal is to see people brought from death to life, from hell-bound to heaven-bound through the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the travel side of that's a lot easier nowadays. I remember years ago, I was coming over from Scotland to do some ministry in Canada and the United States. And back then, probably the, 
mid-80s, the way you booked your travel was you went into a travel agent in the high street. Very quaint old idea, this, but that's how we did it. And I'd sit there and I'd tell the travel agent where I needed to go in the different cities on my itinerary, and the travel agent would say, okay, leave that with me, and then if you come back in a couple of days, and I went back a couple of days, and they gave me the itinerary. I remember one particular time, Joe was traveling with me, and we were actually going to start off uh, the ministry we were doing over here in Toronto. And the travel agent booked us on a flight from Aberdeen, Scotland, down to London, from London to New York. And then we went from New York to Rochester, Rochester to Buffalo, and Buffalo to Toronto. That was a heck of a journey. And our luggage didn't make it all the way. Of course, nowadays, I, if I'm traveling, I go to kayak, and I open my kayak app on my phone, and I work out my options, and I make my booking, and then 24 hours before I'm going to travel, I get the option on my phone, I can check in, and everything's good. And I've got my boarding pass right there on my phone. But I've got to tell you this because I'm a certain age. I am one of those people who downloads the boarding pass to his wallet on his phone, but then I go to my computer and I print it off as well. Because I want to make doubly sure when the moment comes, I can get on that plane. I want to encourage you today, make doubly sure that when the call comes, you're ready to meet Jesus. Make doubly sure you're ready for heaven when God calls you from this life. Acts 16 and verse 31 puts it really simple. It says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. God didn't make it complicated, but it's necessary. Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Most of the world would say they believe in Jesus. That's not what that's saying. What that's saying is just trust in Jesus. Commit yourself to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if you have never done that, if you were wavering somewhere wondering, am I, am I not? Shall I, shan't I? Why not today, here and now, just open your heart to Christ? Like I did at that youth retreat so many years ago. And I was shown John chapter 1 and verse 12 that says, to all who received him, to those he gave the right to become the sons of God. If you will receive Christ as your Savior right now, you will become a child of God. And I want to invite you to do that. Jesus cared about people going to heaven. He wants you there with him too. And so do I. Let's pray together. And as we pray together, if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus,
If you don't know that heaven is yours, I want to encourage you this morning to ask Christ to become the Lord of your life, to forgive you for your sin, and to be your Savior. And if you will do that, the Bible says this, the person who has the Son, the Son of God, has life. I'm going to pray a prayer that you might want to pray along with me if that's you today. Lord, thank you for loving me and for dying in my place. Thank you that you care about me. And Lord, today I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me for those things that have been wrong in my life. I pray that you would make me your child. Lord, give me your life, eternal life today, I pray. And the knowledge that my name is written in heaven. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen.